that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 42. But I want to just have a little bit of a review as we look back uh, to verse 39 and 40, 41. But Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ... Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Notice now, a couple of things here. The, the key is in my name. Name means his authority. Name is always going to mean his character, nature, and will. So they're giving water in his name. But notice that it's so easy for us to speak against somebody else in the church and to call them out. And that's what the context is here. Notice what was going on, that these guys were paying attention to somebody else's life instead of even dealing with their own life. They are not with us. We forbade them. They're teaching something, but they're not following us. They're casting out demons, Jesus, but they're not following us. And He tells them, not to forbid them. You know, there's a lot of people that are uh, doing things in the church that are saved, but they have some doctrine messed up. They have programs messed up. And, And I do believe that we're apostate and we're playing religion in many ways, but we have to be very careful with how we deal with other people who still believe that Jesus Christ is God. They still believe that He was also the Son of God, that He was virgin born. They still believe in who He is and the basic tenets. Because the basic tenets is all this. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So if you're trusting in that, you're saved. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect Christians. So we have to be very, very careful. Now listen, he says they cannot soon call him evil. Notice that there is there is a word there that helps us qualify this. In verse 39, If they work a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. But if they are off and they're not being corrected by the Holy Spirit, they're moving away. And there's a time when they will potentially call Him evil. But we have to be very careful. And here's the the qualifying verse. We'll go over to Matthew 12. And let's look at this. Matthew 12. 
it gets a little bit more in-depth, and I like this. I just want to pick up on it. Um, right now, there's a lot of people preaching uh, 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 Jesus, and they believe in his virgin birth, but it's when they bring in all the other lies that it really gets cloudy as to whether they know Jesus or not. Uh, let's see, 12, um, if you remember this text, the Pharisees are saying Jesus cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub. He's the Lord of the Flies. Keep that in your memory banks. We're going to be talking about it. Lord of the Flies. In 27, 12, 27, he says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Look at the evidence of your sons. 28, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now listen. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Listen, listen to me. There's two houses. There's two of them here. There's two places. There's only two sides. Either you're with or you're against. Either you are gathering with Him or you're against Him. Listen to me. Jesus has come to earth. He's poured out His blood. He's plundered all of Satan's house. He's destroyed it. Listen to me. It's destroyed. It's done away with. He's plundered His goods. He's bound Him. He has no power over you. And now he's invited you and me to go out and gather souls. And you can either be gathering souls by doing it God's way, by as you're led by His Spirit with the Word of God, or you can be scattering abroad, scattering souls. There's only two places to be, with Christ or scattering. Now there's all kinds of things out there that are scattering, they're causing confusion. They're running people off. Causing fear. The question is, are you gathering? Is your heart set upon because you're in the family of God and you know that Satan has been destroyed, defeated, plundered, and we have this time right now to gather with Jesus? Are you in His house under His authority being led by His Spirit to gather souls? Because if you're not, you're scattering abroad. There's only two places to be in life right now if our eyes are open to the Lord Jesus Christ. Gathering or scattering. Now why do I tell you this? Go back to our text. Because you're affecting other people's lives. Let me put it another way. You're affecting their lives. Their lives. To teach anything they want, and you never ever rebuke them or refrain them from doing that. But he's saying they cannot soon afterward call me evil. So be careful. He still wants us to judge doctrine and to judge ministries and to judge people because there is either gathering or scattering. Which are you doing? 
Are you gathering? Is your heart set on being a witness for Christ, a believer priest with God, being the body of Christ? Because you want to go and grow. You want to see souls come to the kingdom of God. Because that's the only thing God's doing on the planet. That's what all of this is about, is to gather up His children and take them home. To gather up His bride and take them into heaven. Mark 9.42, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that you would speak to us clearly through this text that is hard to understand. May be the hardest text in all of the Bible. Interesting thought. Clarify it. Clear it up. Help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now notice he's speaking to believers. About believers. Notice he's talking about something that we don't talk much about, hell. Listen to this. I don't know if you guys have ever did a study on hell. Hell is mentioned only 53 times in the Bible. 22 of those times are in the New Testament. 14 of those times, Jesus talks about it. The other times, it's almost always just quoted from some other time that Jesus said it or the Old Testament said it. Paul never speaks in all the letters that he writes to rebuke or encourage. He never speaks of hell, ever. Not once. Jesus speaks more on hell than any other subject. Because it's so important because he did not prepare hell for flesh and blood. He prepared it for fallen angels. Nor did He come to bring salvation to fallen angels, but He came to bring it to flesh and blood. And hell is a very important subject. I don't know if you listened as I was reading this, but you can affect or infect somebody else's walk as a believer. You can cause him to be offended is the Greek word in the King James. It's stumble here. 
It's scandalon, I believe, Greek. But notice in verse, quickly with me, in verse 41, that somebody was casting out demons, and he says that if they give you a cup of water, they will by no means lose their reward. And then he opens up in 42, and he's again talking about somebody affecting or infecting and causing a little born-again one to stumble. And then he talks about that it's better to deal with it seriously and go to heaven rather than to lose your reward, rather than go to hell. So obviously, if you don't deal with it, you can lose your reward. You can go to hell. That's what he just said there. This is Jesus speaking. Now, I know there's going to be people that has concerns with that. But he's saying here, and, and of course, this, this type of language that we see, it's called hyperboil. You ever, you ever pronounce it that way? I pronounce it that way. It's funny. It's hyperbole. But it's a hyperboil. We can have fun with it. He doesn't literally mean to cut off your hand. He doesn't literally mean to cut off your foot or to pluck out your eye. Because obviously you still have another hand. Obviously you still have another foot. Obviously you still have another eye if it's causing you to sin. But he's saying you have to deal with this seriously. You have to understand that hell is real. You have to understand. Remember what we're talking about, the text we've been dealing with? That if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross and follow me. Remember we've been talking about training our heart to deny self. Where's my desires at? Am I still in my own self, my own conceits? Am I still doing what I want to do? Or am I denying my sin nature, denying my fleshly life, and beginning to train my heart to die so that I can be involved with God in what He's doing? He's gathering souls. Because if I'm not gathering souls, I'm infecting people and I'm scattering souls. Well, I'm not sure about this, and I'm not sure about that. Look at, the, look at the landscape of the Christian church. All you see is scattering. Go, go ask a pastor, how's your church going? And I'm not even talking about with COVID or right now. But almost all of church growth in America is just church hopping. It's just scattering. It's just people that are scattering because they won't set their butt down and learn from God and begin to gather and really live the gospel. All they do is bounce from church to church because they won't die, deny self. They won't die to self. They won't quit their own desires. They're still feeding self. And so they get offended by man instead of learning from God. So they get up and go to another church. Then they go to another church. And, and if you're not in a heart of giving mercy and grace and loving one another and gathering with God, then you're going to be scattered because your focus is going to be on your own self, your own conceits. What's in it for me? So instead of trying to minister to people, all you're looking for is, what do I get out of it, Pastor? What about me, Pastor? You said that about me, didn't you, Pastor? I'm going to another church. And then you're scattered because you have no heart to gather. You have no heart to, to go back and gather for God. Because the only way to gather for God is to complete surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to train you, to teach you, to conform you. 
Everything else is going to be religion and death. This is pretty serious text here. That's why I didn't go into it last week and I stopped short. And it may be short this week because it's so heavy, but it's so real. In an apostate church where man is leading it instead of the Spirit of God. Where, where church membership and church roles and church rules are dictating what goes on instead of the Word of God. Where money and influence are guiding the ministry instead of the Spirit of God. Listen, our lives, if we say we're Christians, and they affect or infect somebody. And Jesus says, don't, listen to me, listen to what He said. He said, don't forbid them to do what they're doing. But then He comes back, and He says here in 42, but, here's a contrast. Here's a contrast that the church needs to learn. Whoever, anyone, listen, it's a whosoever gospel. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe, that's the word pistio, to trust in me for spiritual well-being, to stumble or be offended, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It would be better for him to be physically dead than to pretend to be spiritually alive. It would be better for him. Listen to me. This is the verse. This is the verse that got me saved. This is a big verse on me. This is the verse that had me marry my wife. This is the verse that God pounded into my head when my wife began to go to church and she got saved and we were going to get back together. And I knew this verse from the Bible. There's a few verses I knew. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 I knew also in Revelation that He said, I know thy works. Listen to me. That they are, they are neither hot nor cold, but they are lukewarm. And since you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now listen, because I heard this in the last few weeks, but it's a very good analogy. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate yourself on your hotness for the Lord? Like, zero is cold. Ten is I'm on fire for making sure that I'm living for God and souls are going to be saved. Most Christians say, well, I'm not a ten. I'm probably a five or a six. That's lukewarm! And God says He'll spew you out of your mouth. This is pretty easy math. Anyway, when God began to deal with me, me and my girlfriend at the time, my wife now of 23 years, were separated. And He used that to draw us back together. But I knew this verse. 
and I knew she had given her life to Jesus. And I knew with fear, godly fear, that if I caused her to stumble or offend and not follow Jesus because of our earthly relationship, it was better for me to have a millstone. This is a stone, huge stone that you grind grain with. It was the way they actually punished people in the day. Tied around their neck, you know, like a necklace. That's what it, It's a necklace. You know, like the mafia would make the cement shoes. You don't get back up. Death is what it's talking about. Either we desire to deny self, take up our cross and die and follow Jesus, or we're going to offend or affect people, and it's better that a millstone was tied around our neck if we would go out and just live haphazardly and not be led by the Spirit and infect people's life to make them think that this is what Christianity looks like. To be lukewarm. To be lukewarm is not Christianity. God says, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. I'll spit thee out. I'll vomit thee out. God doesn't want us to be lukewarm Christians. He wants us to live for Him and to surrender to Him and follow Him and get involved in gathering souls with Him for His glory for such a time as this. And when we're not doing that, we can cause other little born-again ones to stumble. To stumble. Listen to what it means. It's scandalon in the Greek. We get the word scandalize from it. It's a trap snake. It's a snare. It's an occasion to fall or stumble. It means to sin or to apostate. And that's what bad doctrine does. That's what bad living does to other people. That's why we got to get our eyes on Jesus and get them off of other people. we got to get our hearts back to a personal love relationship with God or we follow man. If you're not actively in prayer, in word, in fellowship, if you're not actively having social intercourse with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and in His Word, then you are affecting and infecting other people so that they would not believe. So that they would stumble. Listen to me. All of Christianity. We're, we're okay with a book. We're okay with a sermon. But what about talking to God on your own? Go look into the Old Testament. What did men of God do? They had a relationship with God. They talked to God. They spent time with God. Except for the time when they were under the law where it was the prophet who would talk to God and then give them the message from God. Look at the New Testament. They had a personal relationship with God. Paul met with God. Paul was saved one out of due time. He was saved on the road to Damascus when he was persecuting the church, but he met the Lord. He talked with the Lord. He was trained by the Lord. The Spirit of God led him. There was this relationship. 
But the church today is living in some type of a religion because they'll listen to the pastor. They'll listen to the Bible study leader. They'll read a number one bestseller. They'll go, I ask people all the time, you're reading your Bible? And they go, well, I, yeah, but I read a, a devotional. Well, that ain't your Bible. You're spending time with a man that's talking about the Bible. God is a consuming fire. He wants you to come spend time with Him, to to learn to be dependent upon Him, to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you meet with Him, listen, you become like those people that you're fellowshipping with. If you're fellowshipping only with people who are pretending that are not meeting with God, if you're fellowshipping, think let's get a little bit worse. If all your fellowship is with the world and you're not fellowshipping with the body of Christ and the people of Christ and the Word of God and more importantly, the person God who's allowed it to happen through the Holy Spirit because He lives in your heart, how can you become like Him? Everything becomes pretense. Who are you spending your time with? Are you gathering or scattering? If your hand, verse 43, causes you to sin. In other words, sin is causing one of his little born-again ones to stumble. In other words, if you cause somebody else to stumble, that's sin. Paul, listen, I, I, I go through this all the time. Paul said he would not even eat meat ever again if it caused somebody to stumble. Think about that. He was denying self. He was giving up his prerogative to eat meat because meat is neither, neither God told us to eat meat. Meat isn't holy or unholy. Even if you sacrifice it to a, to a false god, which is what the problem was then. But since somebody's conscience was so weak that they go, oh, wait a minute, that meat's been sacrificed to a false god. I can't eat that. He said, I'll never eat it again if it's going to cause some other Christian to stumble. And, and he actually says in that text, it's the, it's the person that he's loving that has the weak conscience The person who can't eat the meat is the one with the weak conscience, not Paul. He's doing it out of love. He's doing it as death to self. He's doing it because he wants them to be one to Jesus and live right for Jesus and never be caused to stumble. But you know what we say today? Don't judge me, man. That's what we say today. Don't judge me, man. You can't say that to me. You can't correct me. I'm just trying to save you so that you're not a scandal on for somebody where you're going to get cast into hell and lose your reward because you could care less about somebody else's salvation. You're infecting them with your lifestyle to think that this is how Christians live. Just like all other Americans in the American dream. If we get a chance, we'll go to church. If not, we'll sort our socks. Listen, this isn't playtime. This is about being equipped to be the people that that, that live for God in God's house that are led by His Spirit. 
that are gathering with him, that are involved in what he's doing on the planet. And the devil just wants us to play church and sort our socks and put everything else out there first, which is our own desires, our own conceits, our own deception. Anybody that's deceived in the body of Christ today, it's their own choice. Because the Spirit of God is there begging us, pleading with us to surrender to the work that He wants to do in us, through us, for the glory of God. So He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Amputate it. Now again, this is hyperbole. It's figurative language that wants you to understand that you have to deal with this in a serious, serious way. It's not a joke. Hell is real. Deception is real. The devil is real. But he's been bound. He has no power over you. And, and the power where you think the devil is destroying you is really you choosing not to obey God. It's you choosing not to deny self. It's you choosing with your own heart to follow yourself instead of denying self, taking up cross, which is where the actual mortification comes in, and then following God. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. The only way to mortify them is to submit to God and resist the devil. Submit to God and resist your flesh. Submit to God and resist the world. Draw near to God and surrender and let His power. He's not weak. He's almighty. So we choose the deception. We choose the sin. Really, the hand, when you look at the hand, it means just the hand. But figuratively, it means your strength and your power. So if your strength and your power, in Hebrew it means an instrument. If something in your hand, in your power, or your actual hand is causing you to sin, you need to take drastic measures to get rid of it. He's offered it at the cross. All you have to do is surrender, deny self. Stop following what you were following. Stop planning what you were planning. And begin to do God's work. Gather with Him. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to be sent. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do Your work and cut out this stuff that I'm doing. What do we do? We go on living the American dream. And if I get time after I'm finished with what I want to do, I'll be involved, Pastor. If I get time after I'm finished with what I want to do for me and my family and for my life, because I'm planning for my retirement. I'm planning for what I want to do. If i got any time left, I'll give it to you, Lord. That's deception. That's religion. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. Don't get me wrong. There's a balance. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. But listen to me very clearly when I say this to you. If you don't meet with God and put God first and give Him your first fruit, 
you can't take care of your family because your first calling is to train them in the way that they're supposed to go. Your first calling is to wash your wife in the Word of God. Your first calling is to make sure that they are right with God Almighty because everything else, if they go to hell, means nothing. means nothing. Yet we've been brainwashed to think that in America, the best thing to do is to get your kid an education in the school, the first house of Satan. Just go to the first house of Satan and get you an education. And once you get that degree, everything's good. You just trained them to go straight to hell. To be full of their own conceit, their own self, their own lives, instead of to be full of God. Just keeping it real, people. This is a very, very sobering text about hell. It is real. It is real. Jesus, kind, kind, loving, benevolent, I'm going to die for you, and I'm giving you salvation if you'll just receive it. Jesus is the one teaching this text. He's the one that spoke these words. Notice what he says. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the, the, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Notice with your hands, it's your power. Your hands is your work. Your hands is what you touch. Your hands is the things that you're putting your hands to because you're supposed to lift up holy hands to the Lord. There's a lot of things going on here. If you take the hands, when you take the feet, it's going to be how you live. It's going to be where you walk. It's where you go. It's everything that you're doing. When you take the eye, it's going to be the light of your body. It's where you get fed from by the Spirit. These are not, these are not, this is, this is a spiritual life we're living. He's not referring to physical things. Because he's teaching spiritual people who's supposed to get this. We're not supposed to be walking around blind, putting our hands on everything, living like the world. Because we've been awakened. We've been, we were once blind, but now we see. We're in his family. And yet, we would rather go right back to doing what we were doing even when we leave this building today. Oh, that was just pastor getting excited. Just going to keep doing what I've always done. Listen, don't touch yourself physically. It's not what he's saying. You'd be listening to the devil if you touch yourself physically. This is not talking about that. It's a spiritual kingdom. Your physical body has nothing to do with it. In fact, everything that he talks about is not physical, it's spiritual. We know that we're to regard nothing as flesh and blood anymore. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not about this temporal. It's about dealing with. And if your foot causes you to sin, where are you walking at? How you living? Cut it off. 
Again, he's not talking about mutilation. But he's talking about getting serious with it. See, because if you're going places that you shouldn't be going, instead of getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship, instead of going and gathering souls, instead of doing what God has called you to do and using your gifting and letting the Holy Spirit take your feet where they need to be, Notice the contrast here. It's better to enter life. Because we're, we're born dead. We're born in death. If we ignore God, we stay dead. But if we enter life, it's better to enter maimed. Excuse me. It's better for you to enter life lame. Not maimed. Lame. Rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Pay attention to the wording. If you don't deal with it, you get cast into hell fire. Oh, Greg, but my Bible says if I just believe, yes, that's the starting line. That's your position. If you believe in Jesus, but that's not the finish line. If you truly do believe in Jesus and His blood has paid for you, then the Spirit comes in and the Spirit would compel you to surrender. The Spirit would compel you to deny your own desires and conceits and begin to follow Jesus. And the evidence remains that if you're not, if we don't, if we can't and won't, then we're going to get cast into hell. And I know many people will be uncomfortable with that teaching and they're going to say, oh, no, because, you know, there's, there's the church out there that absolutely refuses to believe in apostasy. They absolutely refuse to believe that a person could lose their salvation. And I'm not arguing these points here. Because at the end of the day, I don't think you can lose your salvation, but did you have it in the first place? Not if you're apostate. It doesn't matter, does it? Think about it. Let's sit on this side of the row and let's all say, no, you can't go apostate. No, you can't lose your salvation. And then we'll all sit on this side of the row and say, yes, you can lose your salvation. And yes, you can become apostate. You know who's laughing in the middle? The devil. Because it doesn't matter which one is true when people are getting cast into hell because they didn't deal with and surrender to the truth of God's Word. All they did was sit and argued about it. It kept us divided. The truth is, is that he says, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched if they're not dealing with their life, their physical life, if they're causing and infecting other people. And if your eye causes you to sin... Pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God Notice the correlation. Both the other times he said life and life. Now he says kingdom of God because life is in the kingdom of God. With one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
Now, I hear, of course, is your vision, right? Your eyeballs, the light of your body, what you're looking at. And and it's actually got two different words used there. One means one-eyed. And the other one is your vision, but it also means your envy from your jealousies at a side glance. So what's he talking about? When your eye causes you to stumble or somebody else's to stumble, it's because your heart's not on God and you have this side glance on chasing something else. See, again, it's what your hands, your strength, your power, your might, what you're touching, who you're worshiping, your feet, where you're going, and then your eyes. What's your eye on? Is it on the mark? Is it on gathering souls, or is it on doing your own little things? But he's not talking about actually plucking out your eye. He's talking about dealing with the part of your heart that wants to have a side glance and get this stuff instead of be pleasing to God and surrender to God and be led by the Spirit and do the work of God so that we can gather souls together as the body of Christ for the glory of God. If we don't deal with this stuff seriously and understand that our physical body and these physical things and this physical life does not matter, all that is physical needs to be cut off if it's causing you to stumble or causing somebody else to stumble. We have to be aware of other people, not just our own selves. We are responsible for the rest of the body of Christ. And it's better for us to enter life, to enter into the kingdom of God, which is the finish line. He's talking about complete the race, finish the course, than to be cast into hell, which is a real place where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now, stick with me for a little bit because I want to talk about this. Again, this is probably what they say is the hardest text to deal with. I don't have any exactly's for you, but I'll tell you where the Spirit of God has led me in this. And the first place is to Acts chapter 12. If you go over to Acts chapter 12, see, because the word worm, 1220 is where we're going to start at. The word worm means a maggot. The word worms means maggots. Listen to me. It's a maggot. Listen, it's very important you listen to me. 1220. If you were with us with Acts, you can pick this up. It's in there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, notice what they're doing, they're winning and influencing friends, they're making friends, trying to jockey for position, trying to work this stuff out with the government and the leadership. This is what the church and the religious ruling authority was doing. Instead of trusting God, they're making friends with people. Instead of preaching the word, they're infecting and affecting but not with the gospel, not with salt and light, like we're going to get to in a minute. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. 
So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on a throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. They're trying to be pleasing to man and win and influence him instead of just tell him the truth because they're lost. We're talking about the religious authorities that crucified Christ. Then immediately, look what happens. An angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by maggots and died by worms. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Listen, they were given the glory to God, or excuse me, to to Herod and not to God. The devil wants you to seek glory down here. The devil wants you to steal God's glory. But listen, the truth in the kingdom of God is, is down here through much suffering you will enter the kingdom of God. Down here things are going to be bad. This is not home. This is where we're behind enemy lines. And down here things are going to look bad, feel bad. There's going to be pain and trial. It's not going to go your way. But we get the glory up there. We get to be glorified. That's the finish line. We've been predestined. We've been chosen. We're going to be glorified there if we'll glorify Him down here. But if you steal His glory, He'll leave the room. And maggots is the end of that. Hellfire is the end of that. Listen to me. This is pretty serious stuff. Because, see, I, I'm not real smart. So I looked up about maggots. These maggots ate his body. Want to look up maggots? Doesn't that make your skin crawl? Listen to this. Go back to your text. Maggots. Verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire. You can take that word seasoned and call purified with fire. That's what salt does. It, it, It holds back putrefaction. It purifies you. It's, it, it keeps you sterile from the world. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if it, salt loses its savor, how will you season it? How are you going to get it resalted? Have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. Now listen, because I'm going to break this down and look at this. I'm still going back to the maggots you know what i did in my phone is i just said google can salt kill maggots and i just let it bring up what it had on there and it started to tell me what a maggot was because i had no idea what a ma- i just know they're like ah there's maggots get away from them and you run from them and you flee from them because you scream like a girl and you're done but then it started to tell me that a maggot was an egg of a fly And then it becomes a larva. It's being transformed. And then it becomes a fly. Right? Now keep in mind, because I told you to remember Beelzebub. Because Beelzebub is the Lord of the flies. And, And if we're not doing what Christ called us to do in true salvation, and 
desiring to come after him, deny self and take up our cross and follow him, then we're actually standing around and we're becoming twice the sons of hell. We're actually standing around and we're an egg of the fly becoming a, 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 a living larva that's a maggot and it's never going to die. That nature, that's the sin nature that was birthed with the Lord of the flies is always going to be your nature. However, if you know Jesus, if you come to know Jesus and you ask the Holy Spirit, which is waiting to, to transform me, Romans 12, 1 and 2, as Paul directs us, says, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, considering the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the only reasonable thing to do, considering the mercy where Christ already took the pain. He already took the punishment. He already took everything at the cross. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not become a maggot forever. But be transformed. By the renewing of the mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Go into and become the butterfly. The metamorphosis. There's a metamorphosis going on. Where you go back into this cocoon and you come out this new creation in Christ. Or you can be a maggot for eternity. You can be a spawn of the devil. The Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. And, and, and you, you go to church, you read your Bible, you claim to be a Christian. But when you pursue your own pursuits and your own conceits, and you continue to follow everything else, and you don't deal drastically with dealing with other people, with this stuff that's going on. And the only drastic way to do it is with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the way we want to cut it off. With obeying truth. The sword of the Spirit cuts it off. It's in the spiritual realm and you begin to be transformed. If the sword of the Spirit doesn't cut it off, you stay a maggot and a spawn of the devil and a fly. It's this simple. And it's laid out in the gospel. Now what's the important thing? Listen to this. If you go, let's just, let's just uh, let's go to Leviticus chapter 2. It's in your Bibles right there if you have any notes. Leviticus 2 says Leviticus 2.13. We're going to go to Leviticus 2.11 first, I believe. Listen, Leviticus, the first five chapters, gives you all the sacrifices, right? And this is what God's saying. And you can compare this with Romans 12.1 and 2. Considering the mercies of God. See, the mercy of God then was the law. And in the law, he gave them the sacrifices. So he could have killed them and rushed right into camp, but he told Moses, move your tent outside, and I'll meet with you outside the camp. Now here I'm going to take these 3,000 priests, Levitical priests, make them, I'll put Aaron above them, and I'll give you these sacrifices. The first one was a burnt offering. It means full dedication. It was actually a bread offering. It represents Christ. The second one was a peace offering, I believe. I'm in the right book. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The first one was meat, and it was fully devoted. The second one here is the bread offering that represents Christ. The third one is the peace offering, which represents fellowship. And then you have the 
trespass and a sin offering, which is all five of them together. But look what it says in 2.11. You couldn't do this. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. Leaven is a type of evil influence in the church. You've got to get rid of the evil influence. So that you don't infect or affect other people's lives with your walk with Christ. You shall, where am I at? For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Can't put the sugar in it either. Can't be sweet either. And for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering, here it is, 13, of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt preserves. Salt keeps it from putrefying salt seasons it we are salt to the world we're we god is putting us in this huge salt shaker and sprinkling us out on the world to keep it from putrefying and dying and all be maggots from keep it from following beelzebub the lord of the flies we are affecting and infecting and we're supposed to be witnesses for christ and as if he's pleading through us, be reconciled to God. The question is, are you gathering or scattering? The question is, are you allowing the salt to season you by being in fellowship? By surrendering, by dying to self. Are you allowing the sword of the Spirit to cut away and then obeying what it cuts away and casting it out? See, we're living sacrifices and we have to have salt on us. And if we don't continue to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, I believe all of it is salt. I believe Christ is the solid rock and it's rock salt. Just my, just my funniness here, because my horses have these big chunks of rock salt. And we chip away a little bit of, of Christ, and we learn, and we let that salt, we be the salt of the earth as we grow in seasoning, because He's the seasoning of life. He's where we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you know what the salt does? Kills the maggots. And gives you life. You got magnets in your trash can. Pour salt on them. Pour salt on your maggots. It's the gospel. And that's all we're supposed to be. Is living witnesses of the gospel. Ambassadors for Christ. Lightly salting. Seasoning. Keeping them from being putrefying. Actually it's getting ready to happen. I think it's. I think it's. First Thessalonians chapter 2 that when the restrainer is removed the son of lawlessness can take over putrefaction and death will happen everywhere 
There'll be no more restrainer in the world, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in you with the gospel. It's you denying self and taking up your cross. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm using this in several different ways on purpose because it's, He's our all in all. It's all about Him. You can use it interchangeably. But if you don't use the salt to dry up the water of Beelzebub, the polluted water that he's trying to keep feeding your flesh with, the maggots will grow. And the maggots will never die. And your sin nature will control. And it's the same with the fire. The refiner's fire. Fire is, is, is purifying us. Salt is purifying us. Both are working together in the sacrifice as we stay on the altar. And if you right now are not on the altar saying, Lord Jesus, I want to hear from you. I want to gather with you. I don't want to be one who would affect and infect unless it's with salt. Then you need to say, Lord, I've walked away from the altar. Let me come back. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. We need to stay on the altar of God. And that's worshiping God. Surrendering to God. Being reminded that it's about His kingdom for His glory. It's not about He who gets the most toys wins. This stuff means nothing. It's going to burn in eternal fire. And right now, you can be purified with fire. You can be seasoned with fire. You can let the trials and the fire of this life burn out the dross. That's how you do it with impure metals. You turn up the fire. That's what God's doing. He's seasoning your life and building character as He burns out these things. But keep your eye fixed on Him. He still loves you. Listen, this week, and this is, this, this is just me, it means nothing. But God speaks to me. I'm cleaning a house and I go out into the garage to move the van because the lady needed to leave. And the husband's still there. And I'm like, oh, I see you know, we need a, a refrigerator and a stove that matches. We're looking for it. We're praying about it. I always pray and wait. And, and I'm like, wow, here's a stove and refrigerator that matches. I just seen they got brand new stainless steel in the house. So I says to the wife, what are you doing with these? I, would, I need them for our church. And she goes, well, you can have them. She goes, there's a microwave in the house that matches. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. She goes, I'll text my husband. She's leaving. And I go in to get to the husband. He's on the phone, so I have to wait. By the time I get to him on the phone, he goes, well, she didn't know. I already gave the stove and the microwave to our church. So I'm sorry. You, you're welcome to the refrigerator. You can have it. However, I already called the restore, and so I need to call them and tell them don't come to get it. So listen to me. My whole story is about this fact that we always, almost was blessed instantly, and then we lost everything. And it has nothing to do with God's love for us. Listen. Because we think this fleshly, tangible stuff has something to do with God's love for us. Whether you have or don't have has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. Has nothing to do with what He's done as a living sacrifice. But what it does have to do with is, is your heart set on this stuff down here? 
I was praising the Lord, and I said, okay, thank you, Lord, it's gone, so I know you got something better. And, and it really doesn't matter because the refrigerator has nothing to do with the soul of a person unless you use it in an analogy to really understand that God loves you, and it's not about this stuff that's going to burn. So get it clear. Whether you lose something or have something, or whether you gain something or don't get something, if it's not your heart being purified, and you let it stay maggots and dead men's bone on the inside, you end up in hell. Because you're focused on this stuff instead of on Christ and His glory. Instead of being focused on souls and gathering, we're focused on what we want to be focused on, and we don't even know that the devil is deceiving us to scatter and we're allowing maggots to grow, death to grow all around us when we really should be enjoying life so we can enter the kingdom of God one day. So, everybody's going to be purified with fire. Even in that day when we get to the kingdom, we're going to go across the conveyor belt and everything's going to be purified with fire to see if what we did, whether our motives were for God or just for ourselves. And if it was for us, it's all going to be burned up. Yet we will receive salvation and inner smelling like smoke. But the important thing is, is that have we entered yet? Are we concerned yet? Do we want to glorify God? Are we living sacrifices or are we just warming our hands at the fire? Are we pretending and playing or are we being transformed as the sword of the spirit cuts away the flesh, as the fire and the pains of life burns out the dross, as the salt dries up the water from Beelzebub, the false rivers, because we drink from the river of living water. And when the Spirit of God is upon us, that's the water we want. We want to be following, led by the Spirit. When we are walking in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We don't grow maggots when we're walking in the Spirit. So if salt, salt is good. It preserves, it seasons, it, it, it purifies. Salt is good, he says here in 50. But if it loses its flavor... Wait a minute now. Now you're talking again that I can lose my reward or I can lose my salvation. If it loses its flavor, how can you have salt if you've been dead? He's quoting Isaiah 66, verse 24. And uh, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Important to know. The last chapter of the mini Bible. Isaiah is a mini Bible. 66 books. 66 chapters. If you want to do a really good study, go study chapter 66 along with Revelation 22. Is it 21, 22? Is there a 22? Isn't it 22? Isn't that the last chapter of Revelation 22? Yeah, 22. Do a study on like this little miniature Bible of Isaiah. And then compare the last chapter of Isaiah with chapter 22. I was doing that um, yesterday. I was doing it this morning. I'm not going to teach on it. I'm just telling you, if you want to do a study, it's pretty interesting. 
65 of Isaiah is really amazing too. So makes me go, what? This is in the Bible? If your salt loses its flavor, its savor, its saltness, not saltiness, but saltness, you're no longer spice. You're no longer gathering. You no longer have a heart for the things of God. You no longer want to be transformed. Is there a place you can be called apostasy? If you don't have a desire to keep growing and going and seeing souls saved? I believe this soul is part of the preserving power of the gospel. If it wasn't for the hope of the gospel, I was watching a street evangelist yesterday and an atheist walked up in the middle of him and tried to bring all of this. He goes, okay, okay, I'll give you that. Okay, y'all good, good, good. Okay, now let me ask you a question. If you go to visit, because the guy was mad because his his brother died early and now he's the wife of his son and all this stuff. And he said, okay, but but when you go to visit somebody in the hospital and they're sick and they're going to die, what hope do you give them? None. The gospel itself is the salt of life. It gives a hope of future. Jesus Christ is the only hope for the future. The rest is maggots. The rest is fire that will burn forever. And in fact, when he says this, he's talking about on the outside of this city in the valley of Hinnom is where they would bury and burn. And the fire was always burning in their dump where they put babies that they would kill. They were worshiping false gods and killing these babies. And they was always on fire, burning these dead bodies, burning this dump. And God said, one day he's going to change the name of that dump. One day he'll change that name because it'll all be about life. Listen, we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up in the church today. It's not about... I'm living my life and then I'll go to church. It's a relationship with a living God who wants to place His life in you and live through you. He died for us. And we have to become these living sacrifices that look at that mercy that brought us grace, that gave us a free gift so that we can live with Him from eternity because we've been placed in His family. But in His family, there's also chores there's things to do and if we ignore what he's called us to do down here and we don't glorify him down here he's not going to glorify us up there there's evidences of life do you have evidence of life or are you still in death are you still a worm a maggot that's growing but you pretend to have life Is the devil deceiving you? Is it easy for you to call fire and lightning down on some other Christian because of their actions, but you won't even deal with your own heart? You won't even deal with your own feet, your own hands, your own eyes, but you can call fire down on everybody else? Convicting, isn't it? All we need to do is surrender to the blood of Jesus, to the working power of the Holy Spirit. 
to the life that God has given us and allow the salt to flow. And he says, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The body of Christ. Even those who don't do it the way we do it sometimes. See that? He says, have peace with one another. One another. It's the one another ministry. Without that peace with one another, without that unity with one another, with this same common theme that we're gathering together, we got different gifts. We shouldn't look at others with our eyes and be envy and jealous, but we should get involved and gather, get involved and work together with our gifting and with what God has given us as resources to gather souls. If not, we're only being used by Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, as a maggot to scatter. Are you gathering or scattering? It's your choice if you're deceived. It's not the devil's fault. You're believing a lie. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for such a stark spiritual reality. Lord, as we study spiritual war, and we know that the gates of hell are running rampant even on the streets. They've come out of the dark shadows and they're in the middle of the block burning things down. We're letting murderers go and putting people in jail and giving them tickets for not wearing a mask. Lord, we've gone plumb crazy because our brains are ate up with maggots. Our minds are full of the devil's plans instead of gathering souls for you. Lord, we pray that those who call themselves by your name would have peace with one another and would desire to, in unity, gather souls and be a message of hope and love to a dead and dying world. That we would not restrain from telling the truth, but that we would be led by your Spirit and speak the truth in love. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana, 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?